Hi, and welcome to a thought leadership discussion on debt collection with Steve Coppard and me, Ian Parry, brought to you by Future Leaders and RM. Hi, Steve. Hi, Ian. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. I've um, I've admired your career over the years and kind of seen all the different really cool and important things you've done in collections and I've kind of um, I've enjoyed working with you recently so I'm, I'm looking forward to our chat today actually. Yeah like, likewise it's, it's great for me and to um, you know to, to now now that I'm outside of government to mix with people in a lot more depth um, who come from different bits of the industry yeah. so I, I always spoke to people from from across the industry but never really got to work with them in in you know in, in much detail so it's, it's been it's been really enjoyable um sort of the, the work that we've been doing between future leaders and, and Aram and just over the last few months yeah cool okay so so we've got a couple of questions to sort of lead the conversation um with the first one being that kind of real opening one is, you know, tell me what brought you into the world of, of debt. So it was it was kind of by accident. I fell into debt, um, not 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 literally at that time. Um, so I, I was working as a retail manager, Ian, and, and I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> and uh, there was there was a program on the telly at the time. Back this is this is way back in the day called the Knock. Um, and it was these these customs officers like jetting around and, and going in oil tankers and finding drugs and, and you know being heroes. And I thought I'll have a bit of that. And so I applied <laughs> to um, customs and excise, and I, I was successful. I got got through. Um, and then I was really disappointed to find out there were no seafaring drug cartel busting jobs <laughs> in Croydon. Um, so I was put on the phones collecting VAT, and I actually found I, I, I was I was okay at it. Mm. Um, and, and it, it started a, a, a decades long love affair with, with debt. Um, and, and some, some people look at me strangely when I use that terminology, but we've been, you know, through, through that sort of 20 odd years in government, we've been, been through, uh, an awful lot of changes. And, and so it's, it's been great to be there as the industry has evolved over the last mm. 20 years and seeing it from both private sector side and public sector has just been really interesting but yeah. how about you anyway where, where where did you come into all this so so back in the day this would have been sort of the the early 90s I guess uh, I was working in a job center in a small town in Wales called Bridgend um, and part of my job was to print off the jobs and put them on the wall for people to see um, but it also gave me the opportunity to see all the really cool jobs first so one day I saw this job for British Gas in Cardiff and I thought, wow, this, this looks pretty fantastic. Um, went along for the interview um, and found out it was in a team called Court Recovery. I mean, like straight off the bat, you kind of announce yourself to customers as, you know, hello, you're through to Court Recovery and, and the shock people would get would be pretty horrific. Um, because mostly we were handling um, payment arrangements on finalised accounts for, for, for British Gas. Um, so that was my, my kind of first exposure to it. And, and kind of like you, I, I thought, wow, this is, this is interesting. I enjoyed it. Um, liked working in British Gas, really good company. Um, and they looked after me. They, you know, they taught me things. It was, it was just as 
competition in the in the energy market was opening up. So there was so many different things going on. Uh, there were offices closing. There were new offices opening. Just a, a massive period of change. And as a you know nineteen to twenty one year old at the time, this was pretty exciting. Um, and I and I really enjoyed it. And I suppose what what I really enjoyed most was that speaking to people um, and helping them out. Uh, and that's what I thought straight off the bat was there's something more to this collections thing that isn't just about extorting, squeezing cash out of people in in the most sort of worst way possible, you know. Yeah, that 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 resonates with me. I've I've got I've got to know now that you've said it, Ian. Did you put the actual? Did you actually put the job up, or did was you the only person who went for it? Did you keep it hidden? <laughs> so so yeah, I I did not put the job up. Um, but but karma has a wonderful way of treating bad behavior like that, of course. So um, for the first four five years working um, in British Gas, commuting from a small village outside of Bridgend to Cardiff, I was the only person going there. Um, so essentially, I ended up commuting, uh, you know, bus, train, walk, because nobody from Bridgend um, had, had the opportunity to get the job. Whereas, of course, if I'd put the job up, uh, maybe I'd have had, a um, you know, a partner in crime to sort of do that commute with and, and share the share the fun. So karma dealt me an interesting blow there there you go there you go it's like <laughs> the, the things we learn as we look back over life i do i know i know absolutely um so just you know we we you sort of touched on how you'd seen things change over the years but just jump into a bit more detail if you wouldn't mind um how things have actually changed in, in collections over the years for you and, and the, the places you've worked yeah, so I, I guess I guess what what I saw um, when I was sort of at the front line of ops was everybody doing the same thing, and actually performance was very similar, um, you know. And and when people would go away on a holiday, I'd I'd pick up their cases, and I, I had a slightly different style um, because. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it was it's one of those things, Ian. I, I used to say to people back in the day, you know, uh, if you look, if you can't pay with with cash or assets, um, this this debt, which is 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 now due, um, then technically you're trading insolvent. So what can we do to get you away from that end of the process and back towards, you know, maybe a repayment plan? And, and it, it was it was subtle, but it, it was you, you know you've heard me say before. I think um, getting people out of debt, not debt out of people. So all my guys were trying to get debt out of people, and I was having a conversation where I was trying to have people get people out of debt. Now, look, the outcome was exactly the same, but it was it was a, a way of trying to move away from the one size fits all process. Um, one of the big things that happened around that time was that the powers that be decided that we would call everybody customers. Now, when you work for the VAT office, um, that's that's even more ludicrous to us than it, it was to, to some other industries, and and we 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 just we, we laughed at it. But actually, again, it's subtle, right? It's part of a culture change, and yes. culture quite often starts with language. Yeah. And so what what we saw what it opened the door to was customer journeys and customer journey information. And we started to think about how we would 
how we would treat different groups of customers. So I, I remember at one time setting up this brand new thing that we, we'd come up with and called it a target team. And we were looking at things like, how do you treat a football club different to a hairdresser? And effect, effectively then, once you, once you start thinking like that, that's, that's the birth of segmentation. Yes. And once you start thinking about that and you're saying, well, I've, I've got all this, this customer journey stuff that we've been doing for a few, a couple of years now, and there's, there's some data underneath that. So how can I use that data? And of course that's, that's the birth of analytics. And, and so to, to, to be around right at the very start of it. And, and then I, I went off and joined my first job after ops was, was um, debt management and banking analytics for, for, by that time it was HMRC, um, uh, always makes me feel very old when I tell people that I predate HMRC. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we went off, went off and joined, um, joined the, the the first ever analytics team in in wow. HMRC for, for 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 you know debt management, um, and and it was it was great because we we were in a very rudimentary way we were pioneering this stuff um and in you know we, we had no no great tech or anything we, this was all spreadsheets and stuff that we were building to try and work things out but seeing the improvements and um, being able to report performance in a, a more meaningful way really really starts to transform the business um and we we were watching at the time as as you know there there were as from the move from the FSA to the FCA we were seeing huge um, improvements in the regulated part of the market, and we were looking for that that you know the, the pockets in other sectors um, of of doing finding out that doing the right thing for the organisation often means doing the right thing for the customer. Yes, and so I guess as as we. As we engaged more with the private sector, um, so probably around 2008-9, and we we were you know using individual debt collection agencies, and then around 2014 when we started taking the integrated approach to the market, um, and and really getting out and talking to to private sector businesses, you know, I, I still still remember uh, an audit I was on, um, at some point after TCF had really started to become embedded and, uh, a, a, an agency, um, an audit manager there saying to me, do you know what, Steve, by actually giving people the right amount of time to pay, um, it's reducing our internal costs massively. And, and that, that single line was something I took back to HMRC uh, mm. and actually it was what spurred me on when I joined the cabinet office to launch the, the fairness agenda. Yeah. um that, that doing the right thing for the customer and doing the right thing for the organization there's there's a lot of overlap yes. and and that 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 you know that, that sort of full circle from 20 years prior um is it, is that that's been that that central thing i guess for me is that follow it following a one-size-fits-all process without data without analytics um without segmentation without fairness um it just leaves you in in a very static place that you can't control yeah yeah so you you you've been in, in the industry a long long time as well Ian so so what, what what's 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 been the major sort of changes on your side of the industry yeah um i, th I think for me you, you can't talk about the the energy industry without first talking about competition so so similar to you i i predate competition um so this is when you know british gas provided um, gas to every home in the country and your sort of local electricity board provided electricity to, to your region um, and you know British Gas then was you know even owned the you know all of the gas networks 
so it was a it was a it was a, a company that was uh, of considerable size um and it kind of first went um i don't really remember the campaigns of uh tell sid about the you know when they when they started selling british gas shares um so i was kind of around at that time and since then i mean if you think of the market now where you know british gas yes it's still the largest um but they've kind of gone from 20s of millions of customers down to under 10 million um and you've got the likes of octopus snapping at the heels you know with huge huge progress and of course you've got kraken as a software offshoot from from octopus um so octopus now is a very different um business concern compared to what british gas was even you know when british gas was a multi utility when it owned a telco provider it owned its its credit card as goldfish it also owned the aa i don't know whether you remember that as well so centrica as an organization was a super utility at one point um so you can't really reflect on the industry without going back and looking at competition and how everybody's changed um, but I suppose the other things that have changed dramatically over the that time is technology. Um, <laughs> I remember um, going from a green screen monitor um, where we would use the collection system uh, Tallyman, um, you know, still still around, still very much a you know a leading collection system on a green screen monitor. And then we went to sort of PCs on, on the desks and, and all had training on all, all that, that sort of stuff. And now, of course, we're in this wonderful digital age um, where, you know, we're talking about self-serve, we're talking about online communities, we're talking about you can access your account whenever you want. It's on your phone. It's great. Um, but but I've got this this balance in 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 my mind as far as those changes and and I just think that yes let's take the savings from that digital revolution let's allow those people that want to engage with you that way to do so and you know if if you are forcing me as a consumer to go to your uh, sort of channel of preference rather than mine then you failed I think um, and you know none more so than than in collections um and i think if if we have a a better serve journey for customer acquisition and onboarding than we do in collections again i think we're failing our, our customers um so I, I think you know technology has been wonderful in that respect but i think take the savings but don't forget about some of your um non-digital customers and keep those channels open for those people. Yes, there's a there's a, there's a group of people in the middle that you can educate and, and and get on board to more digital, but there'll still be some people that you'll get some wonderful success knocking on their door, having a good conversation with them. You'll have a wonderful success having a having a hub in a local community, um, whether it be like like some of the banks have, have done over the years. A mobile bank that just kind of drives from from small village to small village. So those those traditional routes, I think, still have value. And I think you know certainly you know whether it's collections or customer service, 
uh, are super, super important for me. Um, and I suppose the other two things then that have changed, I think, is the tone of voice. Um, we've gone from, you know, hello, you're through to cord recovery, when are you going to pay? To, you know, um, listen, Mr. Cobbard, we can see that, you know, it's it's a difficult time. How can we help you? What can we do? How do we engage with you? So, you know, that massive, massive change there in, in tone of voice. And I suppose the other thing as well now is that, that you know, the collections team is is less kind of um, siloed. It's less on its own. It's less of an island. And I think it kind of reaches out into the rest of the organization. We want to understand how are we bringing customers on? How are we communicating with customers? Um, what data did we collect at that point? Um, and, you know, what's the billing process? So when a customer first speaks to the collections team, we've got a really good understanding of, did we did we mess up their billing for the last six months and therefore they're going to be a little bit knocked off? And we should appreciate that. We should understand that rather than just, well, you know, it's a bill, you've got to pay it. So, you know, collections teams are reaching out into organizations and collaborating a lot more and the rest of the organization, marketing, sales, et cetera, are engaging with, with collections in a lot more. So I think huge changes, um, to, to reflect on all mostly great changes, I would say. I, th I think I think you're right, Ian, and I got a couple of things that really jump out at me from from what you said there. Um, that that sort of that that needs. So I, I I still I still think within organisations there there is a little bit you know when when you're at the end to end process and the collections bit is at the tail end mm. there, there's there's an awful lot of people above you vying for for investment and cash out of the company coffers, yes. um, and um, when when you sort of get that investment in the front end but not the back end, then you you end up with the, exactly the sort of sludge pro, pro, pro processes yes. that the FCA is now looking to get rid of through through consumer duty. Yeah. And I, I think that's why it's even more important for, for those leading collections organisations within larger organisations to be invested in the technology because you do have to continue to serve those customers who can't access digitally in yeah. in newer ways especially yeah. now in in you know with in, in 2023 with everything else we've got go, got going on you, you you need to have those innovations but you can't afford to pay for those unless you're getting slicker upstream yeah um and so i i do i do think there's a there's a need to 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 sort of push people through and i i do again i, I think you know that that sort of lack of investment as well I think whilst whilst we can change the scripts for want of a better expression and and train people, um, you know, our, our teams in better ways to deal with people, I think that frustration of the lack of investment actually sometimes um, can can reach the, the the shop floor as well. Mm. Um, if, if you're if you're asking for change because you can see on the front line that it's not working, and there's there's actually there's no there's no investment to change. And yeah. you're forced to continue doing something you you know isn't effective, then pe people eventually give up and become automatons. Yes. So it, it's it's re it's really important, I think, to to monitor that that whole um, interaction and um, as as you say, like as the marketing teams and everybody else gets more important and gets more clued into to that side of things, um, then then it will improve. So yeah, really really interesting. Yes. So so as we narrow this conversation down and see so we, we you know we talked about the sort of 
how we got into this wonderful world of collections with the changes that we've seen. So, you know, if if we've got some some people listening to to the, today's thought leadership discussion that are either new to collections or getting into it, you know, what are the what are the three things you'd say a collections manager should focus on? Um, and and if we can focus a little bit more on water and energy uh, um, for now, that would be really helpful, I think, as well. But what are the what are the three things in your mind that would really sort of um, get get some focus for those collections managers? So I guess if I if I start with it at a high level and then drill down into it a little bit, I, I, yeah. I guess I'd, pro- I'd probably categorize it as 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 people, policy, and process. So, um, and I'm aware that that can cover all manner of sins. So, so <laughs> let's let's have a let's start with people. Um, so, I, I guess as I was just saying I, I think those those who work um, on on the front line for us will they they they're going through the same situation as the people that that we serve as as customers. Um, and so, I, I think understanding putting putting time into your own your own people invested in them understanding where it where it is that they're going making sure that the company um you know is is reacting with one-off policies where need be um to to help people through um so i I think number one be be aware that that, you know your own teams are, are also likely to be struggling um I did, did a, a blog recently, Ian, on economic abuse, and it's like you know, it's it's one one in six women in the UK. Um, it's it's four point six million women um, go go through economic abuse, and when you start to overlay stats like that over your own workforce in a large yes. organisation, it's virtually yeah. impossible that you don't know somebody who's going through yes. that. Just but nobody walks around with a red flag over yeah. their head. Um, so so that's number one and there are some great organizations that can help you and and you know i'm i'm thinking about you know there's there's there there are uh, people like wasp and, and reach out who who do some really good work in that area helen pesifer um so so have have a look around just make sure that you've got your policies at that sharp ends um, as, as as good as they can be mm. I, I think then um behavioral insights on people now, Ofgem did a, a fantastic report um, a little while ago, which I'm, I'm going to sort of summarise for a, a future blog, um, and, and looking at the impact of changing the, the, the letter, where you put information, how long the letter is, um, and then really seeing what sort of engagement they got as a result. Yeah. Um, and, and, and obviously the tone as well. Um, it, it was very important. So I, I won't I won't sort of pre- preempt that too much now, because <laughs> uh, but, but it's, it's out. It's out there. It's in the public domain. Um, yeah. And, and I, I found it fa- fascinating and, and really good to see the energy sector yeah. investigating that sort of thing and, and re- really trying to work out how how it can do things better. Yes. Um, and uh, that for me is, is is a really important point. So you you know you and I have had some conversations previously around um, how difficult it is to change things like the letters that the, the energy yeah. sector and, and the water sector equally have to send out um, utility sector be, because of what the regulator says and because of what yeah. the legislation says. And there's there's this this re- really really geeky um, thing called audience design theory. And audience design theory, um, I learned about this through Amplify Global, 
so audience design theory it, it goes through the thing that actually when you communicate with somebody there may well be at least five or six layers of of people who you're communicating to as well as the person that you that you're you know on at least on the surface trying to communicate to so we write yeah. a letter to a to a customer yeah who do you write that letter to first though you write it to the regulator because because the regulator says I, I i want you to put x y and z yes. in in your yeah. letter so the, the first person you're writing to is the regulator and then you've got the legislation and legislation says if you're doing this you have to so the next thing you do is you write it to the legislator then you write it to your company lawyers then you write it to your company branding department. <laughs> yes. Then you write it to your line manager. And finally, you write it to the customer. So in that chain, your customer was, I think, I think I counted seventh um, in, in the list. Mm. Uh, and by the time it's gone through all those other people, the customer hasn't got a clue what's going on anymore. No. Um, and, and so, so when you, when you start combining all of those things, um, you know, the, the fact that the people are struggling, they've got bigger things to deal with, quite frankly. So if you can't get your message across succinctly in a way that engages them, um, you are not going to get them into having a call with your people on the front line. So that, that's, that's number one people. I think number two policy, get, get the broad principles right and then think as, as much time about thinking about the spirity, spirit of the policy as the detail. Um, and I, I, think, I think that's that's really important, you know, because we, what, what, I, what I see in a lot of, of big organisations is that the policies and strategies that are written effectively by, by people like me sitting in a head office um, environment, not out on the front line, um, in, in incredibly well-meaning, um, but you have to test it in the real world. Yes. You know, and, uh, and it's, it's that evaluation. <clears throat> and you have to test it over time because you get drift. And, and you know, again, another big part of consumer duty is, is making sure that over time you, you're, not, you're not getting drift. Um, it'll be that largely in, in product. It's the same is true for, for policy and strategy as well. Um, and, and actually, that you haven't got KPIs in the organisation that, that drive people to meet that policy and strategy um, through some perverse behaviours. Um, be, because that's, that's quite often where you see bad behaviours creeping in. Um, I, I, I can remember in one organization I worked for, um, we started measuring productivity and where, where sort of, you know, um, Alice and Bob sitting next to each other, Alice used to turn around to Bob and go, how do I do this? And Bob would go, we do that. And she goes, thank you very much. Now they put it on their BF list for tomorrow because they get one in their productivity marking. And, and then Bob the next day says, right. And types the answer into the computer and BF again for tomorrow. Cause now Bob gets one on his productivity marking and then Alice actually picks it up and does it. So Alice has got two out of it for her productivity markings and it, it replaced the 30 second conversation with three productivity ticks. Um, so, so you, you know, that, yeah. that's, that's the sort of thing where, where you need to be really, really careful on, on sort of policy and, and, um, make, making sure that you remember to, to leave enough room in there to trust your staff because people respond, I think, a lot better to principles than to products. Um, so then finally into, into so that was people and in policy and then finally into process, I, I think making sure that, you know, your, your processes are flexible and dynamic and, and, and data driven, that they incorporate real time feedback um, where, where you can machine learning and AI to continually improve, but where you can't, you know, all, always taking that outcome data and feeding it back into the, to the top, um, looking at, at dynamic next, next best action codes. I mean, I, I spoke about, 
moving away from a one size fits all process. And I think what a lot of um, what a lot of businesses have, have moved moved to is to having differentiated treatment paths. So you know, data will ever only ever be a course filter. So it will say, well, approximately, we think people should go into this treatment path, and that and that's great, and into this bucket, um, and, and that's your course filter, and your fine filter then is your agent when when people ring up because you've driven demand into your contact center because it wasn't yeah. actually the right bucket. Um, so your fine filter becomes your agent on the phone, and and their outcome data needs to feed back in. So next time that customer goes into the right bucket, or we create a new bucket. Um, and and so so you you've got your coarse filter and your fine filter, but even even that, I, I think in in situations like the the way the economy is today, the way the pressures are on people, that requires human beings to be on top of and predicting situations that we've not experienced before. Mm-hmm. And, and so you 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 you're going to be guessing, and multiple organisations all taking a punt at something are going to come up with multiple answers, and maybe none of them are right because mm-hmm. maybe it's a combination of all of them. Yeah. Um. And that's where the dynamic next best action code comes in, because in real time it can be seen how that that guess is working and tweak it if it doesn't turn out to be the right thing. And, yeah. and you, you you can flow people through the process in in real time in a in a, a, a much better way, and monitor the outcomes live. <coughs> so 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 the, yeah, those 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 would be my three things. In it would be people, policy, process, and and with a, a little bit of that detail underneath it. So mm-hmm. um, after, after that humdinger, I'm going to throw it back at you, and hopefully you'll you'll <laughs> you'll come in again from a totally different angle. Yeah. So so um, let's assume that. Um, I completely agree with what you've said, and and certainly I think they're um, they're all really good things for for collections managers to focus on. Um, and I'll I'll pick three others um, just to sort of give a give a, a variety uh, to the answer. Then, so um, I'm going to say talent um, now could just be a different word to people, but I suppose I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle in that. I think as a as a as a manager, looking at your talent is is so so important, and and understanding that, you know, what people love to do, um, and how they love to do it, and the things that you know you don't like to do in a, in a job, and and why why do we go through team management by forcing people to do things they don't like to do, um. And isn't isn't there an opportunity here to sort of just play to people's strengths rather than getting people to work on their weaknesses? So for me, I think it's starting with the talent that you have um, and appreciating, you know, within a team as you're building up that talent, um, diversity and build, in, in building up the team, I think is is fundamental to making sure that you don't end up with an echo chamber within that team of people just kind of going oh yes that's the one answer let's crack on with that um and i think when you're building up your talent with diversity of education background ethnicity um and gender then what you have then is initially um maybe a little bit more discomfort because you've got different ideas and 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 different touch points and maybe some friction but within that 
that's where the real cool stuff comes from, I think, where the new ideas come from. Um, and that's how you propel yourself further forward. So as a, as a leader, as a manager, um, unconsciously creating a team that looks and sounds like you, in the long run, you end up with the worst performing team. Um, so let's start there. Let's start with that talent. Um, I was going to talk about technology, uh, but I think I think we've done enough about that. I think we can tick that box and say, yes, collections technology, that's, that's the way to go. Um, so instead, I'm going to talk about engagement. Um, and this is this is customer consumer engagement. Um, so how do we how do we engage with those folks that don't pick up the phone to speak to us? Because we've got more than enough policies and processes in place to deal with people that do speak to us. They've either responded to a text or they're talking to our AI robot um, or they picked up the phone. What about that? large enough demographic that when they get themselves into trouble, bury their head in the sand, how do we how do we speak to those people? How do we convince them that it's not going to be a scary encounter? It, it's going to help them. And that's what we're here to do. It's not about pickpocketing them and getting as much money from them as quickly as possible. And that, I think, starts with um, how do you how do you put yourself out there as a brand? Um, when when that person looks you up online, either trying to um, choose you as an energy supplier, although in in water they don't get a choice. But when they go and look at you, what do they see? What are the first things that they see? You know, is you know we're here to help. Is there an online sort of um, group? of customers, for instance, associated with your business that are talking about how they always help rather than um, what, what we see quite a lot in the energy and water space. There's a lot of online forums of how to avoid paying bills, how to steal energy by bypassing your meter, um, which, you know, you can absolutely see why people are doing that with the cost of, of energy. You're down the pub. And, you know, there's somebody in a corner talking about how to safely bypass a meter and not have to pay for your energy. And, you know, they're all they're all robbing gits anyway with their billions of pounds of profit. So there's, there's all this justification surrounding it. So that 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 power, that online community is pretty strong at the moment. We need to contra that, I think, with more of a positive conversation around how how these companies can help and how they do help. And having sort of either ex-customers or current customers as advocates for people that have gone through the process, I think that that's got to be a way to go as far as engaging that sort of silent group of customers that just they're just so so scared um, to talk to you about it. So I think I think engagement is is a super important one for me. Uh, and probably lastly, um, I'm a I'm a big believer in if you don't measure something, you've got no idea of, of whether it's happening or not. Um, but I'm also really aware of, you know, unintended consequences, which you touched on yourself as well, which is, you know, you kind of, that becomes the metric. And then all of a sudden, that's the only thing that people focus on. Um, and that happens in, in any 
sort of um, any industry, any walk of life. If you say some, if you say to somebody, "I need you to speak to fifty customers a day," well, okay, I'll, I'll speak to fifty customers a day. But if you're not going to tell me the quality of the conversation or the outcome of the conversation and the resolution, then well, I'm just going to speak to fifty customers a day, and I'm just going to say hello and I'm just going to say goodbye. And I've ticked my boxes and off I go. So I think it's the construction of those metrics that are super important. Um, and within that, there's the engagement with your team. So don't go off into a room and, and create the metrics. Um, speak to the team, you know, speak to the, the best performers, the people that are at uh, the lower end and the people in the middle. Talk, talk to them about, you know, what, 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 are, what should we be representing in our team at the moment? Um, and don't always go for the metric that will show you in the best light. Um, I've certainly done that in the past myself and learned from it and, you know, gone into a boardroom and always given the, 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 the great news. And then some of the bad stuff comes along and, and, and you're scrabbling around then. So I think it's, it's giving that balanced view. It's talking about metrics that your people believe in as, as good representations of what, performance actually looks like um and uh, I, I remember an old coo i used to work with would talk about um you know great performance and particularly in a customer setting and would always say let's not pat ourselves on the back about great performance with customers unless our customers tell us that so forget about your metrics of how quickly you're answering the phone or how many complaints you've had Let's wait for our customers to engage with us and say, hey, I spoke to Steve the other day and wasn't he just amazing? That was great. And that that for me, I think, is is the um is the key thing. So, you know, it's the three things for me are talent, engagement, and metrics. That's that's it's it's re re really interesting. Um, again, Ian, because I think on the we we've we've both now touched on the met. It is so important to 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 measure. Um, I think I, I had a similar say say if you if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Yeah. Um, but the act of measure measuring. Um, I've I forget what it's called now. Um, it's the the Hawthorne effect. The Hawthorne effect, whereby the act of measuring something interferes with the thing that you're trying to measure, and <laughs> and and and, and uh, therefore you, you 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 don't end up with a, a real world outcome. Um, and and in, engagement, you're absolutely right, is is a is a huge huge issue. And and again, I think a lot of that gets steeped in. Like you say the the the, the image that we portray there. There are. I've, I've I've long believed that we should we should stand up and shout about the good things that we do across the industry because when we fail to do that then we just leave a vacuum that's filled by the naysayers. Yeah. Um. And and there there'll always be plenty of them out there. So you know you, nobody else is going to tell our story for us. Nobody else is going to write it. We have to do that ourselves. Yeah. Yes. Spot on. Um. I'm coming towards the the end of um the discussion now. Just want to sort of round off with. You know, how do you how do you think this industry can do more to help customers, Steve? So I, I suppose just to touch on one of the things we spoke about earlier a little bit, I I worry about the 
the balance and and this is this is me as with an outsider's view and and a, and a little bit of information but a little bit of information is a dangerous thing sometimes right so um uh strong view loosely held is is maybe a good way to put this um but i worry about the balance of how much feedback the regulators take back in in relation to the decisions that they've already made and i, I think the, the the letters is a great example of that um you know how I've I've sat I've sat in in countless policy strategy uh, meetings, uh, new new process design meetings over the years, and the the ones that succeed are always the ones that invite and welcome scrutiny and feedback and challenge, and and actually don't don't just put it out into the world and let it go off forever, um, but but keep it close and monitor and watch and and keep inviting that challenge. And if we if we if we say that we we know that a lot of customers don't understand the the, the letters, um, and you can see that in the FCA's financial live survey, um, then what mechanism is there? How how often a week is, is are the regulators getting the feedback? What are they doing about in conjunction with the um, with the the, the retailers? Because I'm. I've not seen much change in my, my my energy bill over the last few years. If anything, it's probably got more complicated because they're trying to put more information in it to be more helpful. And and I, I just want a simple explanation, um, with, with, with without all the, the the six pages of gumph that goes with it. Yes. Um, so so that that would be one, uh, I guess, around the um the the, the feedback. And then I've, I think really interesting coming off of your 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 conversation there around metrics. So misaligned KPIs. This is this is something that, that used to bug me in op. So in in HMRC, for example, we obviously had a, a metric within debt management, uh, you know, a, a senior management level that we wanted to reduce the debt balance, debt stock as much as possible. Yeah. Um, now it was our job to translate that into metrics that didn't drive the behaviour on the front line of just collect as much money as you can. Yes. Um, but one of the things that we would do is, is as you approach March, you do a, a real thorough spring clean of all the spurious debt, all the, the debt that got stuck in the system somewhere that shouldn't be there, and you clear it all down. And you, you'd wipe millions off of off of your, your debt book because it was just stuff that shouldn't be there. Um, and look, we used to do that once a quarter. It always built up, but there, there was a, everybody did it on, 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 come March. But at the same time, the folks who worked in compliance... They were targeted on getting as much money into the system and, and finding as, as much of the tax gap as they could. And so as furiously as we were taking debt off, they were putting <laughs> debt on. And, and you, you, you kind of end up, you do all this work and you end up in a net nil position. Yeah. And, and you kind of think, well, I, I, actually, what, why, why, why is that? So the misaligned KPIs and the, the, the context I've got it in at the moment is, is misaligned KPIs across regulators. And let, let me let me just sort of touch on that for a minute because I I've, I think the energy industry in particular is and and look it's 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 even harder for water but I think the energy industry is in in between a bit of a rock and a hard place right so if you're if you're a, a financial services institution you're a, a lender bank um what whatever it may be the FCA is the regulator says that you can't allow people to get into debt um knowingly you know you have to do some checks up front you have to make sure it's affordable for people um and and you you, you absolutely if they start getting into debt you need to stop it there and then yeah 
Yeah, when you're working in the energy industry, efforts to do exactly that meet a lot of outcry. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the detail of the whys and wherefores and, and the techniques and everything else. But as a rule, I think there needs to be some recognition because we've got, you know, we've, we've got on the one hand, the energy sector saying, right, we'll, we'll, we'll let's, let's do switches to prepayment because actually that makes it easier for people to, to manage um, the, the, the cash flow. Mm. Um, they're not racking up massive debts that they won't be able to then not pay off. Um, we can get a little bit of the debt back. And at the other side, you've got the indignation of politicians um, in, in Westminster saying you must stop this practice. Mm. Now, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's a little bit of right and wrong in both sides. And, and even the industry now is sitting up and going, but hang, hang about, we're not allowed to let people get into debt over there. Yet you're yes. basically telling us that we must allow people to get into debt. Yeah. But we're a retailer and we don't make millions and millions of profit like the, yeah. the, the producers. Um, so why, why, why are you telling me that I've got to give my product away for free? <laughs> and I'm not saying there are easy answers to it, Ian, but I, I, I do think it's a, it's a bigger conversation that we need to have as a country. Yeah. Um, because if the principles hold true for the FCA, then they should hold true for the, the utility sector regulators. Yeah. And this is this is maybe something that we we can talk to UKRN about, um, but they're, they're, you, you, you can't. You, what source for the goose is source for the gander is where I'm yeah. getting to. So yeah. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to shut up on that point now because I'll probably <laughs> leave myself down a rabbit hole if I don't. But uh, let, let me let me throw throw that straight back at you, Ian, because you you've yeah. been in this industry far longer than I have on on the the utility side. So. So, so I, I, I mean, I, I pick straight up from where, where you've left off, really, because I think that is a perfect sort of example of one of the challenges we have. And I've always described it as, you know, the regulator uh, is asking us to push down on this balloon at various points. So it'll say, hey, um, understand who your customer is and how they can pay and talk to them about the best ways of paying. Um, build them accurately and on time. Cool, yeah, got that. Um, don't allow them to build up debt, but also don't ask them to pay too quickly. Um, don't do too many warrants and certainly don't disconnect people. Don't ever do that. Uh, but we know that you can, but don't do it. Um, and now don't allow people to have debts with prepayment meters. Um, and of course, um, if you're trying to get the money back too quickly with a prepayment meter, we'll we'll be interested in finding out why that is. So that that balloon is, you know, it's popped for a lot of businesses. Not not of course because of um, the you know the, the the regulatory landscape. That's very much about the price and 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 you know the the, the market. But you know that's a real as retailers and as you rightly say, retailers are, are struggling because of the, the, the thin uh, margins for profit in that area. Um, so I, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for that. And it's a big conversation for sure. But for me, I think what more we can be doing is being more proactive. So picking up on your point, um, you know, data sharing, we still have an industry in water and energy because it is, um, finance that we're offering on credit mostly that we don't have a choice and we can't decline people. Um, But why can't we 
understand more about that customer at the point of entry um, where possible. Um, why can't we credit score them? Why can't we find interesting ways to understand their ability to pay at that point so that right from the outset, we understand who we're dealing with and how we can help them better? Um, and then that sort of data sharing um, experience begins. You know, we talk a lot about thin credit file individuals and how to help them. I, I've always thought, well, why do I need a, a high interest credit card when I can just go to an energy provider or water provider that shares data and pay my bill on time? You know, go, go figure. Why do I need an, a, a credit card when I can do those other things? But um, it's a little bit of potluck there because some water companies don't share and some energy companies don't share. Why not? Let's all share the data. Um, let's all understand then the vulnerabilities within our customer base. Um, so, so I think being more proactive and sharing data has got to be up there. Uh, but I'd also say at the moment, this, this industry has been pretty poor in educating some of the fundamentals. So, you know, the, 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 the media as it is, is really good at saying, look at these companies earning billions of pounds in profit. Um, you know, the, the recent uh, expose on British gas, um, the BBC website says British gas breaking into people's properties. I mean, if you look at that, you kind of go, wow, what, what are they doing? Um, and then of course, you know, if you know anything about the industry, you kind of go, well, hang on. Um, that's at least 180 days of a process where that customer has been attempted to be contacted 20, 30 times, letters, messages, calls. Somebody's gone and knocked on the door, left a postcard and said, hey, we want to talk to you about this. Then you go to a, um, a magistrate. And yes, of course, there's been lots of pressure on why the magistrates are doing these so quickly and without as much um, emphasis as, as maybe they could have as much questioning. But then they arrive with a warrant, with a locksmith, and that's a horrible experience for a, for a customer. And I've, I've been out on a few of those visits myself. And it, 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 it's quite an anxious experience. But, you know, British gas are not breaking into people's properties. They are using um, the regulatory and legal framework they have available to them to collect a debt that somebody hasn't paid. And, and most often, the identification of a vulnerable customer can only be found once you go to the property. And that's the, that's the environment that the energy and water companies are working in, is good old-fashioned eyeballing of a house, seeing the, the situation that customer's living in, seeing you know, sometimes it could be, and certainly when we started talking about vulnerable customers at, at British Gas, you know, years ago, we used to talk about field representatives noticing toys in living rooms. So they knock on the door, um, they don't get any engagement from the customer, but they can spot signs that, that there may be, you know, excuse me, children under five living there. So... All of these things, I think, work together. You know, as an industry, how do we how do we talk more about the the, the good that we're doing, um, and and how do we counter 
that billions of profit argument that you know is is so so powerful. Yeah, you make a, a, a lot a lot of good points in. Um, I, I, I do I do think there's uh, there, there's a, a really strong argument for the field agent um, because you know if if somebody's been through like you say that process that broad broadly likely to fall into one of three camps one they've gone away they're, they're, they're not actually at the address anymore um which is why you're not getting the, the yeah. contact two they are in, in a, an incredibly vulnerable position or, or three they're, they're they're frankly belligerently non-paying but remembering there's more than one outcome apart from the belligerently non-paying is is the yes. important bit yeah. Um, and and I, I, you know, I, I do think that again, this is this is part of the, the changing environment that, that we we are we are in these days. Mm. Um, we are we are going to see. I su I suspect. Um, you know, I don't I don't have the data to back this up, but I suspect we are going to see uh, quite a lot more people who you know that vulnerability category will will grow. Yeah. Um, and that, that that makes it, I think, even more of a critical time to have that conversation. It does. It does. So, Steve, we've reached the end of our discussion. Um, I really enjoyed it, um, and I just I just love your 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 way of thinking and the angles you come at this from. Um, and it's it, it's for me, it's like that real perfect balance between intellect education, learning, open-mindedness, and practical kind of actions nows, if you like. So so th thanks for sharing your your experience today. Uh, I've, I've, I've re really enjoyed it, Ian. Um, uh, you, 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 could, you can call it all sorts of nice things. I just call it being a debt nerd. Um, <laughs> and I, would, I would happily sit and talk to anybody about debt all day long. So you've, you've really kicked off, uh, kicked off my week in a great way. Um, and and likewise, you know, just just getting that insight from the energy sector, which is is you know has, you, you've got the depth in that sector that I I don't, and so yeah, it it, it, it does it it sings to my inner geek. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, thanks. So um, and thanks for everybody else for for joining us today, and 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 however you're you're going to get to listen to this, um, we we hope you enjoy it as well. Um, We've enjoyed this chat, um, and as you can tell, you know Steve and I are both, um, you know, passionate about collections, um, and we think it's an incredible choice uh, for a career. We've been proud to be part of it, and remain to be uh, part proud to be part of it. Um, and way better to learn um, than the collections industry right now. So, thank you again, Steve, and um, thank you for everybody for listening. Cheers, Ian. Bye bye.